0: You know, Revelation, we're going to look at Matthew, but in Revelation it says, Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousands, ten thousands and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing.'" And every creature which is in the heaven and on earth and under the earth and such are in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Those are the words that we will be singing and saying along with the angels on high as we worship God for eternity's sake. Now look with me to Matthew chapter 2, as we continue our 25 days of Christmas theme. While you do that, let me ask you a question. Why do some people encounter God in ways that other people don't? Why do some people, it's probably not a very good word to use, but some people find God while other people have a knowledge of God? Why do some people have this daily encounter and walk with God and other people, while having a belief in God and Jesus doesn't have that same spiritual depth? Well, today I want to hopefully answer that question for you and we we find it in Matthew chapter 2. And I believe Brother Fred is totally correct in that we as a church we can't settle for the norm. We can't settle for everyday Christianity. We can't settle for a belief in God, but we do our own thing. The challenge, and I believe what people are longing for, is a group of people who form a church where absolutely every single thing that occurs is seeking to glorify Jesus Christ because He's worthy as the Lamb who sits on the throne. Where every decision made from every part of the church is, What does Jesus think about this and what does God want done in this situation? Where every single person in the church, when we walk out of these doors, we realize that we're the called out ones and that God's called us to be light into the darkness. And we so live out the light of Christ without trying to hype it up within our life that people just encounter God from being around us. It's been done. In the days of old. These individuals who would walk through and people would be like, that person has something that's different. That's what I believe God calls us to be. That's what makes us called out. Makes us the church. Now, here, several years ago, I went on a venture, and I began to look at every great awakening revival that I could read about from the course of the last 2,000 years. And I began to look at the people who God used in those great awakenings and in those revivals and in those awesome spiritual encounters with God, and it summarizes, and I put it in, in that book I wrote, but it summarizes in this. I believe that those who God greatly uses and those who God greatly just pours into on a daily basis are the ones who are receptive to God. Let me show you what I mean, and we find it in Matthew 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, let me stop for a moment. Of course, we're talking about the wise men or the magi. Interestingly enough, these people were not religious. They weren't necessarily Jewish. They didn't have a belief in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But what they did have was a willingness to seek truth and a willingness to seek out God when God shows up. Now, we have always, in our nativity scenes in our homes, always put three guys, typically, dressed as kings, showing up with gifts. But the truth is, it could have been anywhere from three to forty or fifty And these men would watch and study the stars and they saw something different in that they saw a star that was unlike any other star that they had ever studied. Well, naturally, it would be God could make any star look any way he wants. After all, it says in Genesis that he names the stars. In Proverbs, Psalms, that he actually names every star. He created the star. So here it is, the wise men show up from the east. And they say, where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star and have come to worship him. Couple of things. One, when God almighty reveals himself to you which I believe he does every single day. If we would just simply stop and look around we can see the Magnificent hand of God in our life every single day. But there's some truth that we see here. Those wise men saw a star. They saw that God was leading them someplace. And they took the initiative to seek out God. Y'all, for us to have God greatly pour into our lives for us to have a dynamic daily walk with God for us to not be like ordinary christianity that we that seems so prevalent across our country we must one be watching for God and chasing after God and willing to take an initiative to seek after the living God in no matter what it takes these guys left their homes their families, the comfort of their home, and they rode hundreds of miles into a place called Jerusalem because they saw something that was different and they knew that there was something supernatural about that, not natural as they were accustomed to. So they left their homes, they left their... Families, They left the, the comforts of life to go to this place called Jerusalem looking for an almighty God. And what does this star actually mean? And I ask us this morning, each of us, what do we leave behind? Or are we only comfortable in our Christianity and walk with the Lord? You see, it's easy when we're in a good church... It's easy when we're in a community of faith to simply sit back and relax and worship on Sundays and pray throughout the week. But There's a cost in discipleship. We've made Jesus so easy. And Christianity and the walk with Christ so easy that we've almost formed him into an American comfort Jesus. Jesus said, you want to follow me? I have no place to lay my head. And for us in a great church, and you have a great testimony, and this... I mean, we love Jesus at Luke 4.18. We really do. But are we comfortable in our pursuit of God? Or do we press in to watch for God? And, you know, I would even ask you, what signs does God give you every day? Going all the way back to salvation. For me, even going back before then. R.A. Basketball at Cottage Hill Baptist Church. Individuals who poured into me, listening to the Word of God on Sunday, worshiping God on Sunday. But then being in the high school and having a friend that was in the youth group who I went to high school with who began to share his faith with me. And I began to encounter God in a way like I had never seen God before as I got more involved and as I pressed in. But we have to understand that Pursuit of God does not come as going to church. Pursuit of God comes every single day where we abandon ourselves and we say, Almighty God, I want to know You. Strip me of everything that's, that's an obstacle in my walk in relationship with You. Oh, God, remove every path that's a curve that slows me down between me and you. Oh, God, remove every weight off of me and every sin that stands so, that, that, that grabs hold of me. Almighty God, strip me of all of that that I may see you and glorify you like never before. Gosh, we've all been guilty of complacent Christianity. I know I have. But we see them seeking out after God. But it's interesting in that they had one purpose in mind. And I challenge you today to live life with this one purpose. And look at this. It says, Where is he who has been born of the king of the Jews born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Y'all they did not travel that distance to see what they could get from Jesus. They traveled that distance so that they could worship Jesus. And y'all have heard me speak about what is the. There, there's different Greek words for worship, and one of those words is worthem, which is where we get our English word worth. And so when they came to worship Jesus, they came to give him worth, to give him value. He was worthy of traveling. Hundreds and hundreds of miles and leaving the comforts and confines of home in order to go and give this baby Jesus worth. So, here they go and they're traveling along in verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. Well, that's natural. I mean, people, anytime you bring Jesus into the mix, people get troubled, don't they? It was so funny. My wife Pamela can be a little feisty at times, and we were eating at Olive Garden the other day, and the waitress comes at the end and says, well, happy holidays. And she looked, and I was like, oh, boy. (laughs) And she looked, and she goes, and Merry Christmas. And then the girl goes, oh, and Merry Christmas to you, too. It's driving me crazy watching television, seeing happy holidays and the holiday tree. It is a Christ tree, and it's a birth of Jesus as Messiah who came as a Savior. That's what Christmas is about. It's not a holiday tree. If you want to have a holiday, go create your own holiday. Don't use up Jesus' holiday. It's not a holiday. It's a holy day. And these men recognized a holy day and something unique was going on in their midst. And they didn't want to miss out on God. So they chased after God and they left where they were and they came to give Jesus Christ worth. They did not show up for what they could get. They showed up for what they could give. And I believe that's what God wants to do in the midst of Luke 4.18 and the people of this church. And throughout Mobile, Alabama, he wants us to press into him and come to him to give him worth and to give him value, to give him praise. Now, why did they do that? Let me show you the difference. In verse 2, the wise men were receptive to God and they had one thing in mind the worship of Jesus in verse 2 in verse 3 rather Herod was troubled by God not receptive to him but look at his response and when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born now y'all picture picture this now Here's King Herod. He goes and he gets the religious leaders to gather together. And he says, guys, listen. These wise men have come, and they're saying that there's a special star. And they've come to worship this baby being born, this Messiah. What is this all about? Y'all, give me, give me some, some, some information. The religious leaders said, So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah... Are not the least among the rulers of Judah? For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They're quoting Old Testament. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem. Now let's stop there for a moment. Because this is really the main part of the message. You see, the wise men were what? Receptive to God. Herod brings the religious leaders together, the most spiritual of Jerusalem together. And they knew the scripture enough to say, oh yeah, yeah, the Messiah's coming. When he comes, he's going to be born out in Bethlehem. Why did they not go to Bethlehem? As spiritual leadership, they have got gone out into the streets and the highways and in the temple and said, Hey everybody, listen. Bethlehem. Go to Bethlehem. The baby Jesus is born there. Oh no, they didn't do that. Though they knew the Word of God, they did not activate the Word of God in their life by believing in faith that Jesus had really come. Thus, they completely missed Christmas. So I began to think the last couple of days, why did they not go? And the scripture doesn't say, so it's speculative on my part, but there is a, here's a few thoughts for us. Either A, they just didn't believe it. They're like, well, yeah, he's going to be born in Bethlehem, and these guys don't know what they're talking about. doesn't matter. I'm not paying attention to it. They just simply didn't believe. Or maybe they believed it, but they were bothered by it, and they were too busy. They didn't have enough time, so they didn't go out to Bethlehem. Maybe they wanted to, but simply became distracted in the process of life reminds me over the story in Luke 14 if you want to flip there with me you can for a moment story the lord teaches Luke 14 verse 15 It says now when one of them, one of those who sat at the table with him, heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must go and seek it. I ask you to have me excused. Verse 19, and another said, I have, brought five yoke, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm getting ready to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master, then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, if it, if it is done as you commanded, or it is done as you have commanded, and still there is no room. Still there is room, rather. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come, that my house may be filled. For I say to you, that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Now, y'all, we see this picture that Christ paints of a banquet feast, and the Master, being God, comes and says, Hey, come on, the feast is ready. And the first one says, I can't do it because I've got... uh, To take my own, I want to do what I want to do. I want to go see this land that I've bought. The second one's saying, well, I've got to work. I've got these ox and I've got to take care of it. The third one's saying, hey, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come either. And they have all of these excuses. Y'all, none of those are invalid excuses. And we have to be very, very careful. I know that I have to be careful in my own life to not be like the scribes or the Pharisees who know the Scripture. Who, desire, who I, I desire to worship God. I'm looking for Jesus. I'm seeking Jesus. I know that God's operating in my life. I know that God's active in my life. And I desire for God to do almighty things and to be the almighty in my life. But then I get distracted with work. I have family. And then usually the mind says, well, I've worked myself about to death. I have... I, enjoy, I should have a little time to go and do something on my own. Some pleasures, some fun activities. And all the while, none of those things are wrong. The difference is, those who are receptive to God and willing to take a step. Willing to deny himself, take up the cross, and follow me, as Jesus said. I've heard Brother Fred say it many a time. Many people like to hang around the cross. But few people are willing to pick it up and follow him. Isn't that true? You know, I look at my own personal life and I think, some days I pick up the cross and I follow and then other days maybe I'm tired or I'm too busy or don't want to or whatever and I just sit there and look at the cross. Y'all, you know, I believe that we must be like the wise men. When we see God at work we show up and join him in his work. Now, there's something else interesting here about Herod. Go back to Matthew 2. Herod brings the guys together, he inquires of them where's the baby being born. They answer him, it's in Bethlehem. Herod brings the wise men together. And he says in verse 8, And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. You see, the first group that we see are those who are receptive to God and they have one agenda, worship. The second group that we see are those who are receptive or who have knowledge of God but they're not receptive to God. They're not willing to take the next step and join Him in His work. The third part that we see with Herod here is those who are deceptive and they act like they want Jesus when they really don't, which is what Herod was about here in verse 8. But we also can see a sense of Those who are receptive to God, but they want others to go and do the work of seeking God for them. Now let me say that again. Herod, even in his deception, sent the wise men and he said, Go seek out the Lord, or go seek out Jesus, this baby, or actually a child by the time the story is told. Go seek out this Messiah and then come back and get me that I can go and worship him. Yo, we live in the day and age because Christianity's on the radio, it's on television, it's in the it's in the newspaper. We have great churches because he's all around us and accessible in various venues. I simply ask are you relying on someone else to seek Jesus for you or are you seeking him yourself? Are you waiting for someone to go and experience God and then come back and tell you about it so that you can then show up? That's what Herod did. And so the This next group is those who are receptive to the things of God, but they want other people to do the work for them. Certainly, we do not want to be guilty of that. In other words, as we progress in our spiritual walk with Christ, And by the way, you realize and understand, God wants to minister and speak through and work through every single person in this room. You know that, right? Well, I'm not like them. I'm just not that spiritual. Listen, God created you. And when he formed you, he said it's very good. And he doesn't give, Brother Fred, the deluxe edition of the Holy Spirit and you the Walmart version, China made. The Holy Spirit's the same Holy Spirit, is the living God. And God pours into you. And God longs to walk with you and to know you and for you to seek after Him. I mean, Jeremiah 29, 14 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. We know Jesus said, Seek and you will find. We see over and over again different scriptures about seeking after God. But, y'all, we, we must understand that God wants to work through every person. He wants you to know him in an intimate way on a daily basis. And if we'll just simply look around, we can see God all around us. And we can't sit back and just simply coast as a Christian. God has so much more for us than that. We can't settle for, for less than what God has intended for our lives. And I can't tell you what God has intended for your life. And if you only rely upon the one who's teaching your Sunday school class or the one delivering the message or someone else's preparation and song or whatever the case may be, and you rely upon only that to encounter God, you miss out so much more. Because God wants to show you Himself on a daily basis. He wants to love you and put his arms around you on a daily basis. He wants to pour through into the lives of other people on a daily basis. And I begin to think, well, how did Jesus seek after God? Because if I want to be like Jesus, then I need to seek the Father, God the Father, just as Jesus sought God while here on Earth. And we don't have time to go through all the verses, but we see that Jesus prayed regularly. And I hope that we all have a regular time of seeking after God. And not just a time of prayer. It's like the old Romanian pastor in the communist days told me once. He said, he goes, I do not want a time of prayer. I want a life of prayer. And where we commune with God throughout the day. In the cars, we're driving someplace. And we pray as we go along. We just converse with the living Father all day long. That's what I see, how Jesus did it. I I see how Jesus got before the Father and listened for guidance and sought out the will of God. He encircled himself with disciples and certainly they learned from him. But we all need people in our life that will sharpen us and make us more passionate about the Father. It's kind of like the father who gathered his kids and he said, "Let's together, let's make this the greatest Christmas that we've that, that, of, of all time." And this teenage boy, in his cynicism, looked at him and said, "I thought, how, how can you improve on the first Christmas?" And it's true. And I'm not saying that we can improve on who God is or who Jesus is. But I, I know for me, I can improve in the sense of how much do I really seek after God. And with Christmas being a couple of weeks away and moving into a new year and us moving into a new building and us doing this together, and wouldn't it be amazing and awesome? If together we experience God at a different level than we've ever experienced Him before, and that we sought after God in a way that we've never sought after Him before, and that we grab hold of God and we say, Almighty God, I sit here and I wait for You, and I, I, I seek after You, and I long after You. Almighty God, I, 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 I will wait on You, for when I wait on You, You'll renew my strength but God, I will not let go. I will not back down. Almighty God, I, I, I want you to operate in my life like never before. We need the Holy Spirit's help to do that. But look what happened. Verse 9, when they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star... They rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Now why do they rejoice? Why do they have exceedingly great joy upon arriving into the presence of Jesus? I believe it's because God teaches us a principle in Psalm seventeen eleven: In your presence is fullness of joy. And when we are entering into God's presence there is great joy. Which I can conclude, when I don't enter into God's presence, then I lack joy. Think about that for a moment. And when I'm honest with myself, when I'm truly seeking God, God's pouring within to me, There's joy in my life. But when I seek my own, live for self, have a knowledge of God and certainly still have my salvation with God and go into heaven with God, but when I live for self, my joy gets sapped out of my life. Is that true of you? Am I the only one here? And then I think, well, Joe, how foolish you are. No joy or joy? Live for self with no joy, live for God and have joy. Why would we not choose the life of joy every time? We must die of self daily with the power of the Holy Spirit's help. And as we close, I simply say this. We all need. We're a great church, I'm telling you. And we pray. But I do think that all of us together, that we collectively, that God has much more for us than what we really even know right now. More than what we can comprehend. That his love is so broad and his width uh, is so broad and deep and for us that we have no comprehension of what that is. And what I'm encouraging us to do is let's continue to pray like never before. Let's be, as Brother Fred said earlier in the service, a place where, like in the book of Acts, everything that happens here is supernatural and we know that God did that. Wouldn't that be incredible? I don't want to be a part of a church that's ordinary. And I don't think you do either. we to be a part of a church and a people that's sold out for Jesus. Because we seek after Him. And when we find presence and there's fullness of joy. We should have the greatest joy on the planet because we stay in the presence of a living God.